0: Well, good morning. What a good-looking congregation. That includes Brother Leonard, as he just told you. But glad to be here. Aren't we blessed with a great day to come together as a congregation of God's people and share in this time of worship. Glad to be here. Don't get to speak very often up here, but uh, hopefully we'll have a good time this morning studying God's Word and learn from it. Got a question. First question is, Well, I'm going to preface it a little bit. Typically, when preachers come to a pulpit and they ask a question, they say, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm going to be strange. I'm going to ask for a show of hands. How many people in this congregation have ever been discouraged or distressed? Good. Glad to know I'm not the only one. Uh, we, We live in a life, folks, where that's just part of what we do in this world. We go out into the world, we get discouraged in so many different ways. Some are very critical, some are very trivial. I mean, I know we just finished up Thanksgiving and all that stuff, and there was lots of sports on television, so you know, if you're like me, we get all worked up over our sports teams, and we can be encouraged or we can be discouraged. Right now, I'll be honest I've told you not to say that all the time, but I'm going to tell you, um, I am discouraged with my sports teams. If y'all don't know, I root for this team that wears silver and black. They're called the Raiders. And uh, quite frankly, we stink right now. We're the worst team in the NFL. So I'm discouraged over that. Um, my college team, they wear garnet and gold. They come from Tallahassee. They, they, they pretty well stink too. So I don't got a whole lot of encouragement in my, in my trivial sports life right now. But, but there's other things that we deal, live in li- deal with in life that are, that are more serious that are discouraging to us. We, we may be struggling with health issues. We, we may have economic troubles that we're dealing with. We may have relationships that are distressing and disturbing and discouraging to us. We may have these inner demons, these, these, these inner feelings and emotions that we have to deal with that are discouraging to us. For us, so as people made on this earth, we're going to deal with discouragement, but that's the real key. How how do we deal with it? it reminds me of a story that I read about. There was a uh, a father and his son was playing in in uh, little league baseball, and unfortunately, he wasn't there at the beginning of the game. But when he showed up, he noticed the scoreboard. The scoreboard said eighteen to zero. But uh, his son's team didn't have the 18. So he, he looked around. He found his son who happened to be over in the bullpen. He went, oh, he said, oh son, it's, you know, it's okay. Don't be discouraged. The son looked at him and said, Dad, there's no reason to be discouraged. We haven't even got to bat yet. So, so really how we deal with this discouragement in our life is really kind of the key, isn't it? So this morning <clears throat> I picked a verse here that says we are well able to overcome. Some translations say it, we shall surely overcome. So that's our thoughts for today. We'll be looking at two, two pieces of Scripture here Numbers 13, Romans chapter 8. But when we think about this, this idea of being discouraged, one of, the, one of the moments in our life that is most discouraging is when we are that one person. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been the one Uh, I don't listen to country music a lot anymore, but I did it one time, and Tracy Lawrence had this song, and it was talking about a red brick and a white wall, which is why you got the graphic there on the screen. And the point was, you know, sometimes it's lonely being that one. And when you're that one, you can be discouraged. You can be distressed. When the whole world is looking at you and saying, yes, 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 but you are assured that no is the right answer, it's hard to stand there and say No. It's hard to be the person that stands and delivers a tough and unpopular truth. A couple of examples. Not too long ago, we had a vote here in Warren County about liquor, about the drink. Was it easy to stand up and say, no, that's wrong? That the Bible says we shouldn't be doing this? Uh, when the entire county seemingly was saying, yes, we've got to do this. We, if we don't, we're just a bunch of backward hicks. It's discouraging to be that one. Another example. Just look at society in whole. And the way that, that homosexuality and same sex marriages are forced upon us in every single aspect of our lives. You can't watch a television program without seeing it. Quite frankly, you can't even watch a commercial without it being propagated as hey, folks, this is just normal. But stand up and declare that it is an atrocity in the sight of God, that it is a sin. You're that one. You're the one standing against the crowd. Consider Nikita Khrushchev. He was the premier of the Soviet Union after Joseph Stalin. So he was going around having public town hall type meetings. And in these meetings he was censoring all the things that Joseph Stalin had done. All of his policies. All of the atrocities that he had put on the people of the Soviet Union. And so one of these days, in one of these meetings, there was a a heckler that came, his voice came out of the crowd and he asked Nikita this question. He says, weren't you one of his colleagues? Weren't you a colleague of Joseph Stalin? Why didn't you stop him? Nikita replied inclined, who said that? Much like now, there is a very quiet silence that fell over the cloud. No one even dared move a muscle. Then Nikita Khrushchev replied, now you understand. It's hard. It's difficult. It's discouraging to be that one, to take that stand. So as we look at our scriptures today, we'll look at four points. In chapter uh, chapter 13, we'll look at the first three points. The commissioned uh, spies. We'll look at the cowardly words. And then we'll look at some courageous men. Then we'll flip over to Romans chapter 8 and we'll talk about being conquering Christians. So if you will, open your Bibles, look at Numbers chapter 13. We'll start with the first few verses there. Verses 1 through 16. Twelve men. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men out to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving. in very important word there. I am giving to the children of Israel for each tribe of their fathers you shall send one man. Every one, a leader among them. Remember that qualification. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord. All the men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now their names were. Guess what? I'm not going to read those. You can read them, number one. Number two, I don't think I can pronounce them all. But regardless regardless... Moses sent out, just as God had instructed him to, twelve men, not only men, but twelve leaders of the children of Israel to go look at what? What he said, I am giving you. Go spy out this land. I've got a gift for you. Go look at it. Our second point. The particular instructions that they received. Look at verse number 17. We'll start there. Moses sent uh, sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. He said to them, Go up this way into the south. Go up to the mountains. Listen here. See what the land is like. See what the people are like. Whether they who dwell there are strong or weak. Are they few or are they many? The land, whether it is, is good or bad. Whether the cities that they inhabit, are they camps or are they strongholds? The land, is it rich or is it poor? whether they're a forest or they're not. Be of good courage and bring back some of the fruit of the land. Now was the season for the first ripe grapes. So isn't it interesting here? God tells Moses, send these spies to check out the land. Why? Well, we recall previously, He said, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a land that's full of milk and honey. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny? What? why they have to go do this. I think it's a bit of foreshadowing here and I think the Israelites just didn't realize it. Yes, he said, I I promised you a land. Yes, it's going to flow with milk and honey. But guess what? You need to go check it out. These are things you need to look for. Is it a good land? What are the people like? How strong are the cities? Do you think he was trying to indicate to them, to implicate to them? Folks, you're going to have some discouragement. You're going to encounter some distresses in this journey to receive my gift. Yes, he was. So then we go on to, down to verse number 21 through 24 and we look at the journey that these twelve make. So they went up, they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zen as far as Rehob near the entrance of Hamath. They went up through the south and they came to Hebron. There's a few names here. Yeah. Ahiman, Shishiah. Talmai. Kama. The descendants of Anak. Hmm. Keep that in your mind for just a minute. They were there. Now, Hebron, it was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt, and they came to the Valley of Eshkol, and they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they carried it between two of them on a pole. And they also brought some pomegranates and figs. And the place was called the Valley of Eshkol because it was the cluster because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. So. They did what Moses asked them to. Go spy out the land. Go bring back some evidence of what's there. Let's see what they reported back to in verse number 27. They returned from spying out the land after 40 days. They departed, came back to Moses and to Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and all the congregation and they showed them the fruit of the land. Verse number 27. They told him and they said, We went up to the land where you sent us And it truly flows with milk and honey. This is the fruit. How big was the fruit? Remember, one one cluster of grapes they carried between two men. Now let's pay attention to verse number 28. Don't forget, these were leaders of the the twelve tribes of Israel. Here's their feedback. Nevertheless, and if you put that in our terms, but so yeah, it's flowing milk and honey, but the people who dwell there, they're strong. The cities, they're fortified. They're very large. Even more, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites, they dwell in the land on the south. The Hittites, the Jesubites, the Amorites, they dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites, they dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. What's their report? Yes, it's a great land, but... Their cities are big. They've got these folks that are descendants of Anak over there. We've got enemies on every single side. Did they sound distressed? Did they sound discouraged? Unquestionably. They looked at what was in front of them and they got discouraged. Look at verse number 31 briefly. Caleb quieted the people. I can just see him. I can imagine. Hold on, hold on, hold on. And then he says, let us go up at once and take possession for we're able to overcome it. Caleb says, hold on, folks. Let's go. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Notice verse number 32 and 33. How those spies responded to Caleb's objection. They said, but the men that went up with him, they said, We're not able to go up against the people for they're stronger than we are. And and they gave this, uh, the children of Israel, the bad report of the land which they spied out saying, "The, the land which we have gone to spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. It chews people up and spits them out. All the people we saw there, great statue. We saw giants, the descendants of Anak that came from giants. There's that term we talked about. They saw giants. We were like grasshoppers in our own side and so we were in their side. They're so big we look like insects. We can't do this. That was their message. That was their message. Notice chapter 14 verse number 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and they cried and the people wept that night. So we can look at this verse and, and we can take the, you know, the high ground and say, "Well, look at the fickleness of those Israelites." Weren't these the same people that just got delivered out of Egypt through 10 plagues? That just saw the, the Egyptians destroyed in the crossing of the sea? And now here we are and they're they're crying all night because they they can't What's wrong with them people? There's an old adage we use around here in the South called "Those people that live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones." Folks, we need to be careful. There's many times in our lives that we figuratively encounter the same things. We look at life and all the things that are going on around us, and we've got giants that stand in front of us, and we've got enemies that stand on every side, and we figuratively and sometimes literally weep at night because we are discouraged were distressed just like these israelites now let's move on to our next point the courageous men so we heard caleb speak up a little bit let's look at chapter 14 verse number six and then it says there that joshua the son of nun caleb the son of jephunneh who were among those who had spied out the land tore their clothes why are they tearing their clothes are they upset are they distressed over the same things well, yes, they're upset in their distress, but it's not over the same things. Go on down to verses number 7 through 9 and see the call for faithfulness and you will under, we'll understand more why they were tearing their clothes in their distress. For they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is exceedingly good. They saw the same things as spy out. that's a great land. But notice how they saw the different part. The next part. If God, if the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Now notice their concern. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection is departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. These two courageous men did did their very best to lift the spirits, to exhort and to encourage the Israelites to have the strong faith that they needed. God said, I will give it to you. He didn't say it's going to be without trial or trouble or distress. But He said, I will give it to you. And these two men had the faith to stand and say that. We see there in chapter 13, verse number 30, we read it before. Caleb's admonition, let's go do it. We can do it. Let's go now. Let's not wait. Let's not hesitate. If God's with us, we are surely able to overcome this. And then we see in the latter part of verse or chapter 14, verses 28 through 30, the, the reward of that faith. But we also see the reward of the lack of faith on the children of Israel. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken, In my hearing, so will I do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness. All of you who are numbered according to your entire number from twenty years old and above, except for Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun, you all shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. So we see both rewards delivered. Their lack of faithfulness kept them out of the land of promise. Caleb Caleb and Joshua standing strong, they got the promise. So that's kind of our case study, if you will. So now let's try to make a little bit of application to ourselves. The last point here is called the conquering Christians. Look at Romans chapter 8. Such a great chapter, which is why I picked it for the part of this sermon. We'll look at verses number uh, number 1 through 13. Paul talks here... I love the way that he writes this, because he does a very balanced delivery. He talks about both sides of our lives as Christians. Let's read it here. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you now. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So there is no question That Paul is putting a scene before us. That we are blessed, but just like God kind of foreshadowed in his his sending of the spies there, Paul is being very straightforward and direct with us. We've got a battle with our flesh. We've got a battle with those distresses, those troubles, those trials, those temptations, those desires and lusts that we have as, as humans. That's part of who we are. That's part of what we have to deal with. But you noticed in every single time that he talked about dealing with the flesh, he talked about the way to overcome it. He encouraged us and assured us that we would indeed win. We look at verses number 14 and 17 and he, he expands on this thought. He says, for, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him that we might be glorified together. Heirs. Do we fully appreciate what Paul is saying here? We are heirs. Joint heirs with Christ. But do not let us skip that one part he says there Uh, In the middle of verse number 17. Starts right after the comma. Says, if indeed we suffer. Once again, being straightforward and and, and telling us, folks, there's going to be trouble. You're going to have to overcome it. We don't have a hedge that God built around us. You remember how Satan accused uh, God of doing that for Job? Oh, you've built a hedge around him. Take that hedge away and he's going to curse you to his face. Paul's telling us, you don't have a hedge. You're living in a world that, quite frankly, is ruled by Satan. You're going to have discouragement and distress. But in the end, we've got the promise of heirship to God, to be children of God. Then he goes on to talk about this glory that is to come to us in in verse number 18. I love the way he puts it here. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Again, Paul, both sides of the coin. We're going to suffer. But guess what? It's not going to... I'm going to use the southern term. It ain't going to be nothing compared to what is in the end. Going down to verse number 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His promise. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn above many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, He also justified. And whom He justified, He also glorified. Folks, keep our eye on the prize, but don't be surprised when Satan steps in and causes trouble. Then we go down to verse number 31. Why should we say, these things if God is for us who can be against us these things that he's referring to are all those sufferings and those troubles that he spoke about just a couple of verses ago what should we say yeah sometimes it's going to stink to be me that's just the way it is but in the end if I'm faithful to God Who can be against me? Look at verse number 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for slaughter. Yet all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded neither death nor life nor angels nor principles nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor death nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors, we indeed are capable of being more than conquerors. Look at the list that Paul puts out in front of us here. Tribulation. Distress. Persecution. All these things. He's not making suggestions, folks. He's telling you, be prepared. But it doesn't matter. We are well able to overcome. We are more than conquerors if we are in Christ Jesus our Lord as He finishes that passage. That's our lesson. We consider the Israelites and and how they looked at what was in front of them. The great promise. The distresses. Yes, the fear that faced them and unfortunately they were not strong enough to overcome save the two so when we get out here in life and satan comes at us with whatever it may be maybe he's challenging you in your faith in some way there's some problem going on that you don't know how to deal with you feel like you're you're surrounded just like the israelites saw there with all your enemies And you're called to be the one that stands and be faithful and be strong. And it may not be from all outside folks. It may be from within. That when I look at my life and I struggle with different things, I may feel like, ah, I just can't get there. Don't forget the example of Caleb and Joshua. How they stood and they proclaimed, we can take this, we can do this. Don't forget the encouraging words of Paul. If we are in Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors we shall obtain the promise that He gave us. So this morning, we start with that, or we end with that question. Are you? Are you in Christ Jesus our Lord? I hope so. Because if you're not, then you're left to face all of these troubles essentially on your own. And it should quiet our souls and encourage our spirits that... If we are in Christ, we can look to Him in those moments. But if you're not in Him, why not change that this morning? Why not? You know He died for you. You know He sacrificed His very own body, spilt His very own blood so that your sins could be washed away. Why not fix that this morning? Through through confession of your repentance of your sins, confessing Christ as Jesus, being buried with Him in, in baptism and having all that sin washed away. Coming up out of that water, a new Christian, now ready to conquer all the evils of this world? Why would you wait? Why would you wait? And those of us that are in Christ, yes, we can get discouraged. And and sometimes we need a pat on the back. Quite frankly, sometimes we need to fix some things that we're doing wrong that's causing these distresses in our lives. Through repentance and prayer prayer with the church. So, our request is, if you've got any spiritual need this morning, why don't you come and take care of it while we sing our invitation song?